Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Right, let's get stuck in. My name is Gabe Phillips. Uh, how rude of me if uh, we have not met. Gabe Phillips, married to Fiona, dad of Olivia. But I also have two brothers, two older brothers. I'm one of three. I'm the youngest. And uh, my oldest brother, Damien, is similar looking to me. He's tall, skinny, good looking, charismatic. You know, just, you can put the words you want to put in there, the verbs. No, but he's very similar in stature and, and, and outlook of life. And then we've got a middle brother called Simon. And uh, Simon is an anomaly. He's, we just can't quite pin him down. We don't know how it happened. But uh, Damien and Simon, me, tall and skinny. But Simon, uh, this is my brother Simon there. Um, true story. And he poses for pictures like that often. It's not hard to find a picture of him with a shirt off on Facebook. <laughs> but uh, that's his little son, Sammy. But why I show that picture is that often growing up, people would meet Damien, they'd meet myself, then they'll say, and they'll say, this is our brother Simon, and he'll walk in all 150 kgs, like muscles rippling, six-pack, and they'll look at Simon, they'll look at me, they'll look at Simon, they'll look at me, and they'll go, what happened? <laughs> and it's at that point we say, we used to have a fourth brother, but he ate him. But, um, <laughs> but you know what, the long and short of it is actually is that he has a story, he has a secret. Simon went to gym, I did not. <laughs> Profound. Take notes. Take notes. This is good preaching here. But you see, this is the incredible thing: is that actually there's this there's this, this thing that Simon always had this motivation, and and especially especially to to get bigger. He always wanted to get bigger, and because of that, and because of Simon, I too always had this dream that one day I'll look like Simon. It was really a dream of mine. I want to be like Simon. I want to I want to have muscles. I want to be big. I want to I want I want to be strong. I want to play rugby. That's the dream, but that was not the reality for me. But every year, January 1 would come, and the Virgin Active adverts would go out, the flyers would be put in the cars, and I'd be like, this is my year. No longer will I be the skinny redhead. I'm going to be the buff guy, you know, and want to join gym. And, and I think most of us have a similar sort of uh, lifestyle habit that actually if one January comes along, maybe it's not getting buff like my, my brother Simon, but maybe it's for you, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to get healthier, I want to grow, I want to get stronger. And gym memberships, boom, January 1. Because people are driven by this. I want to, I want to become more. I want to grow in, in who I am. But I, and I've done that for years. I, I became a Virgin Active member, subscribed on the basis of this desire to be like Simon. But after years of membership, I want to tell you what I had. I worked that system so well that I had 35% off flights with Kalula. Amazing. I get free smoothies every Friday. And I've got free babies sitting on tap at the gym whenever I want it. The problem is, the one thing I wanted gym for, I did not get. I have not grown. I've not got bigger. I've not got healthier. I've not got stronger. But I've got great extra things, but I haven't moved forward in that journey. Why am I telling you this this morning? Is that I think Christianity is very similar. We can get suckered in and seduced into all the extras of Christianity, all the good things. Now, 35% members of Kalula Flights is great. Free smoothies is great. Babysitting is great. They're not bad things. But if, the, if you're doing all those things but missing the point, something's wrong. Christianity thinks the same. Sometimes we get suckered into and we love good community. We have good worship, good meetings, good moments, and those are good things. They are great things. But if we are not growing and maturing, 
in Christ, then we're missing the point. So this morning, I want to read a scripture. Well, before we get there, John chapter 12 is our text. And uh, if you're familiar with scripture, today is the week before Easter, Palm Sunday, traditionally in, in church circles. And Christianity understood the, the Sunday that Jesus and the story in John 12 rode in triumphantly into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, fulfilling prophecy. And crowds gathered as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, throwing down palm leaves and, and declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they celebrate, like a, a celebrity type moment, as Jesus rode in and the crowds gathered. Why were they gathered and so excited about Jesus? Because if you read John 11, Jesus has just risen, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. So the news has filtered through the, uh, the suburbs, the societies, that this man Jesus is raising people from the dead. So crowds are leaving everything. They're running to the streets to watch this Jesus, to get a glimpse of Jesus. I was there. I saw him. I, just as like at the Masters the moment, with Tiger Woods walking, with crowds desperate to get a glimpse of, I saw Tiger. It was like that sort of euphoric response. I want to see Jesus. And the, 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 the Pharisees in John 12, they even speak of that. They said, they said, we can't do anything now because everyone has come out to see him. The crowds are pressing in, going, yeah, Jesus. And imagine that day tweeting, I was there. So pumped. The story moves on, John chapter 12, and we'll read the scripture now. And it almost takes the very next scripture says some Greeks were visiting, and it says they wanted to meet Jesus. And they came to Philip and Andrew and says, Hey, how do we meet this Jesus? We don't want to just be on the in the crowd, we want to meet him. So they came and said, Jesus, there's this cup, these guys who want to meet you. And this is Jesus' response. We're going to read it now. Jesus' response to these guys on the back of all the crowds, it'll be on the screen now. John 12, verse 23, 26, Jesus replies, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now, I read this, this text, and I'm almost like, what are you doing, Jesus? I've said this again and again, but I, I've, I studied marketing at university, and I'm seeing everything in, in, in Jesus' life at this moment by the natural lens. It looks like it's reaching its peak, its fervor. The crowds are hanging on every word you say, Jesus. You can do anything, and they're going wild. They're like, this is, I'm with Jesus. And guys come and say, Jesus, we want to meet you. We want to follow you. And then Jesus comes with this bizarre, almost cryptic, hardcore statement that would seemingly turn away people rather than call them closer. He says, they come, we want to meet you. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. If it dies, it will bring much fruit. He says, and actually, if anyone wants to be my follower, they must lose their life. If they try and keep it and they love their life, you're actually saying, you need to hate your life here compared to how much you love me. This is like hardcore stuff. And I'm like, Jesus, calm down on that rhetoric, man. That is hardcore rhetoric. Give him a soft, easy entry point. Tell them, come on, we'll give you a visitor's pack. We'll give you a free coffee. It's, you know, gentle, nice, nice, nice. And then we'll get to that stuff, the real stuff later. But Jesus doesn't do that. What I'm trying to do this morning I felt just to remind us that we are people not to be suckered into an Instagram life. We mustn't be suckered into, for the, for the older folk, a Facebook life. <laughs> what do I mean by that? 
the highlight, highlight reel, where we're living for these, these, these beautiful pictures, and you go through and, and, and you select the best photos of those photos, and you only put those ones up, and people go, wow, his life is amazing. But actually, behind those pictures, there's no real reality of joy, of power, of influence, of growth, showing people all the extra things that are going on in life, but actually not growing internally. I want to say, could we not be a people who get suckered into that? Because here on the basis of this, as I read the scripture, Jesus offers us as Christ followers the powerful life, the real life, the real life of power, the Simon Phillips life, the life of growth, not ambition to grow, but of growth. And we want to, I want to preach this this morning because on the back of this, I want to give you a disclaimer up front. My goal this morning is to trust that we would, people here would sign up for Red Week. I want to tell you that I believe that, I would, that you would sign up to come and serve the broken, the lost, the least of our society. I'm going to trust you to do this this week. That's my goal here, so giving it up front. And I believe this is a chance for us to see the power of God and us to start to grow, not just ambition to grow, but to grow like never before. Let me pray very quickly, then we'll get stuck in. Father, I pray this morning as we gather, we sing, we celebrate, we meet new people, we eat Borovos rolls, and we do this thing called life and community together. I thank you now for your word to come convict us, correct us, challenge us, and encourage us to become all that you call us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Three things very quickly this morning. Three things as Jesus speaks, the crowds gather. Jesus is not impressed with the crowds. Why? Because a few weeks later, a week later, the crowds had hailed him, Hosanna, blessed he is come in the name of the Lord. The week later saying, crucify him. The crowds are fickle. So the Greeks come and they say, we want to meet Jesus. And Jesus says these things, I almost I pick out of this text that he almost does, almost like these challenges, these dares. Jesus puts it right there at their feet and says, what are you going to do with it? Putting the, the ball in our court. So first one I want to say to you is, is I feel Jesus saying, I dare you to move. I dare you to move. Yes, it's a Switchfoot lyric from the early 2000s. But more importantly, I believe it's God speaking to us. I dare you to move. You see, I see this understanding, this two narratives played back to back in John 12. I see a crowd desperate to see Jesus, catch a glimpse of Jesus, get in touching distance of Jesus. But then I find these Greeks, these unnamed Greeks, who want to meet Jesus. And if I'm honest, I think that we are a society that get too easily satisfied. We get too easily satisfied. No, I'm doing okay. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I attend church. Yeah, cool. I've, I've, my, I've, got, I've got actually, I've got a card for free coffees. I'm doing quite well. I've actually gone four times in a row. It's awesome. Now I've got, I've got a life group. Those are, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Good things. It's great to do that. But I think we're so easily satisfied with getting a glimpse of Jesus, with actually going, wow, that person is experiencing God. That's amazing. But our lives are not living in the power that he's given us. I think we get too easily satisfied, and I'm, I'm the same, that I get, we get caught up in the crowd too quickly. The crowd who go, yes, Jesus is amazing. It's awesome. He died for me. That's brilliant. But actually, Jesus is calling us, will you make a move and press into me? Press into me like never before. And I want to encourage us to break the noise, to do something different. And I, and I say it strongly that Red Week is an opportunity for us to disrupt our normal. Disrupt our normal. You know, the running on that gym analogy, I remember for years, I would go and I'd do one gym session. I'd be like, wow, that's it. Come on, I'll go home and look in the mirror. Nothing. This thing's a waste of time. 
until I've learned that actually the growth only comes when pain comes, when actually you consistency comes, when you actually put yourself out there and you do pressing weights that are not in your ability, but actually saying it's just beyond my ability, it's going to break down the muscle and rebuild it. But so often I think we get so easy satisfied because I'm going to only do what I can do. I know I can do this. I know I can do this sort of interaction with Jesus. I know I can do this one, but it's actually not growing us because we're not stretching ourselves beyond. I want to say I dare you to move. You see, in Scripture, the people who got Jesus were always people who seemed to do something out of the ordinary. Zacchaeus, flawed man with brokenness behind him, but Jesus is coming to crowd town. The crowds are surrounding him, but Zacchaeus climbed a tree because he wants to see, I want a better glimpse. I'm not giving us perfect, it's not perfect theology, or this is, this is how you must do, you must climb a tree. No, no, it's just break the ordinary, do something. I think some of us are so much in a rut that we actually, God is saying, just do something. Give me some level of faith. There's a woman with an issue of blood, a crowd surrounding Jesus. She should not be in that crowd. But it says, this woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, said, actually, for 12 years I've been doing the same thing, going to doctors, but that hasn't worked. So actually, I need to get to him. So it says that she pressed through the crowd. I just feel what Jesus is saying. I dare you to make a move. I dare you to make a move, you find Peter again, the man Peter, disciples all watching Jesus on the water. They're going, wow, that's amazing. But only one of them said, I also want to do that. Now, all of the, these were people who were flawed. None of them had perfect, perfect, uh, perfect track records. Or even those, those stories weren't all glorious in their, in their effect. We know Peter started to drown, but Jesus rescued him. But only one said, I walked on water. What I'm trying to say is here, I feel in the simplicity of this reading the text and just hearing God speak to us this morning, God's saying, I dare you to move. Where are you, Where are you in your walk with Jesus? I've been, oh, you know, it's, it's just busy. I've, you know, haven't really, if you haven't grown for a while, take a step of faith. Do something different. I dare you to move. Secondly, this morning, very quickly, I dare you to serve. I hear Jesus in the scripture saying, I dare you to serve. Whenever I hear the word dare to serve, I think of my friend Rob Chifakoyo and uh, a group of guys in Zimbabwe. Their story was, they were friends of mine, we grew up together in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is 99% Christian nation. Incredibly churched. Sundays, the streets are empty. They, on Sundays, they still don't, shops, a lot of shops don't open. It's an incredibly Christian nation by the stats, by the church attendance. But these guys who are going to church were saying, but we are plagued by the fact that the churches are full. But during the week, there seems to be no influence. There seems to be no change. That actually people are so, the, the man of power is there, and actually there's this powerful thing that's happening on Sunday. But during the week, the Christians are anemic. That actually the 99% stats is not changing the culture. Something's wrong here. So what they started to do, they said actually every church is saying, come to us, come, come, come. They said actually, what if we started something that went to them, to people who were broken? So what, based on actually the real fact was they stumbled on the news that actually the government had stopped supporting the, the state-owned orphanages and old-age homes. And people were just dying in there because they were hungry, they were getting no food, because the government said, we don't have money to do anything. So they pulled out. So these young guys, young adults in their early 20s, first-time jobs and in the economic pressure of Zimbabwe, they started an organization called Dare to Serve. And through social media, they said, every Saturday we're going to meet and we're going to serve we're going to go out and serve. And what they would do is they went to orphanages, they went to old age homes, and they just connected with people, looked after people, befriended these people. And then as the journey started, they, they themselves, the group grew, they started to fund the state-owned orphanages and old age homes privately. 
They started to keep them afloat and look after people. They went and they would clean up streets. And, and the incredible thing is I went to watch this. This was something you, you would think, wow, that sounds amazing. But actually, it was only about 20 or 30 of them because serving is not as, can I say the word, sexy as, hey, come and join our church movement. Because it's, there's no glory in that. It's hidden. It's secret. But actually, that's the powerful life. The amazing thing, I remember getting called, and we went there, and we went to see all this, and we did a, con- a conference with them in the Seven Arts Reps Theater. They hired it out. Probably the most profound moment in my life because the, the venue was full of orphans. They put on a conference for orphans with excellence, with advertising. They, they, on their own expense, they flew in the band, the Arrows, to come and open. And I couldn't understand why you would do this for people who would never be able to pay you back. But they did it to serve people, dare to serve. And that is always imprinted in my heart, this deep understanding of actually what we are called to do. You know, Jesus says it this way. He says, you want to be great? You want to be powerful? He says, serve. That's what Jesus says, not my word, his words. You want to be great in this life? He says, serve. And it's it's a profound thing because actually the way of power in Scripture is opposite to the way of power in, in our world. Jesus says words like this. He says, humble yourself and I will lift you up. It's powerful. He goes on. He says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's very hard to be proud when you are down in the dirt with people and serving people and picking up their litter and their trash and, and, and sitting with people in, in, in hospital rooms and just sitting and listening to their story. It's hard to be prideful then. That scripture should terrify us. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because I know I'm a prideful person. If I'm honest, I'm prideful. How do I know that? Because there's often times where I turn a blind eye to other people's plight because I've got other more important things, crowd things to do. When Jesus is saying, ah, it's not about that, it's about something different. Uh, maybe I just had the thought that maybe we often are trying to climb the ladder in our corporate spaces, in our workspaces. We're climbing the ladder even in church, uh, in church relationships. We're climbing the ladder when actually we must be careful that we're not missing Jesus coming down the other way. That He came down to earth. He left heaven to come here and took on the nature of a servant. And this is our journey. You see, Francis Chan says it this way. He says, and I think it's so beautiful. He said, imagine going to a restaurant, sitting down and saying, I'll have the steak. You're so excited. You're salivating over thinking the steak is coming. Oh, it's going to be good. 20 minutes pass, and they come in there with a flourish. They go, here is the greatest pasta ever. You look and you go, what? what's going on here? Like, no, 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 sir, this is an amazing pasta. No matter how amazing it is, no matter how they've put, what garnishing they put on, how much time they put to preparing it, you're going to just go, cool, but where's my steak? I didn't order that. His analogy is here. It says actually a lot of times we spend so much time doing cool things, good things, but we're not doing what Jesus ordered us to do. We're going, look how amazing the things we're doing. And he's going, that's cool, guys, but actually I told you to look after the orphan and the widow. And none of you are doing that. I told you to go visit the sick, but you're not doing that. I told you to go and love the broken and, and look after the poor, but you're not doing that. Yeah, but look how cool our meetings are. Yeah, that's cool. But that's what I ordered. Just an interesting thought, food for thought. I know I've mentioned steak and now people are in trouble. Anyway. <laughs> Just some disclaimers quickly. People, we say, I say these things. And I say it. This is me preaching my heart out because I know I'm wretched at this. Say things like this, it's, you know, it's not my gifting. There are people who are gifted at that, you know, that's awesome for them. Let them go and do it. That's cool. And yes, there's definitely, definitely people who are gifted, but Jesus doesn't talk about a gifting here. He says, actually, if you love me, you'll do this. 
doesn't say if, you, if you're gifted at this, then that. If not, you guys have a free pass. You guys watch TV. I know I've got you guys. No, no. He doesn't call gifting into play. He says, if you love me. Isaiah 6, it's a well-known passage, but there's a prophet Isaiah. He says, in the year King Isaiah died, he said, I saw the Lord. He has this vision of God. He sees the glory of God, and he's, he's, he's wrecked by seeing God. And he wants to worship him, and he has this encounter with God. And at the end of this encounter with God, God asks him the question. and says, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah can go looking around. Um, see, uh, so, sorry, I'll get back to you now, God. Somebody who's got a who's got a gifting? Let's just do the gift test quick. No, no. In that moment, in response to seeing God, said, "Here I am. Send me." That is our choice. If you have seen Jesus, and you say, "I'm not growing," maybe it's because you haven't responded. God, send me. Use me. Use me. This is the response here. I love the fact that I can go on and on. Ezekiel says, this prophecy of God speaking, says, I looked for a man to stand in the gap, but I found none. What a harrowing scripture. Imagine if God spoke about Cape Town with all its churches, with all its Christians. And years to come, he goes, I looked for a man or woman to stand in the gap in poverty there, but I couldn't find anyone. They're too busy making pasta. Not busy with the steak. All right. It's not my gifting. Well, actually, it's not about your gifting, sir, ma'am. It's do you love him? And it's not now proof of your love. It's actually, this is the fruit of your love. This should be the fruit of your love. It should be. Oftentimes, it's not mine. But that's why I have to say, Jesus, help me. And he does. Secondly, another disclaimer under this about dare to serve. Some people say this thing. They say, you know, it's not my season to serve. I love this one. It's one of my favorite ones. When people come and say, you know what, Gabe? I've, had a busy, I've done 10 years of serving. I've been in church a while. I've served hard. It's sabbatical time. It's not my season to serve. The problem with that is that you, if, if we are Christ followers, we call ourselves this word Christian. You're bearing his name, Christian. And Jesus, the Christ, means what he came to do, he said, I came to serve. So Jesus came as in the nature of a servant. So you're taking on his name, so it's not now a seasonal thing. This is an attribute of who he is. And likewise, imagine if I got up and I said, you know what, guys, I've done five years of loving Fiona and being faithful to her. I'm just taking a sabbatical of being faithful to Fee. It's okay? Just, I'm taking a sabbatical. Just give me some time, but then I'll be back. When I've rested, I'll be back, and then I'll love her properly. I pray that many of you would haul me over the coals and say, what the heck is wrong with you? You cannot do that. And yet we give free passes to ourselves and to people when they say, it's not my season. As Christ follows, we've got no option. I want to take this, that, that excuse away from you. There is no sabbatical from serving Jesus and his people. Because he says, when you serve, I'll empower it. And I'll always give you the grace. You're tired, come to me, you who are weary. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a burden that is easy and light, but it's still a burden. It's still something to carry. Anyway, let me finish this morning. I want it to be brief. This is just me. I hope it's okay. Me just pouring my guts out this morning to try and say, can, this is who we are. This is as people. Anyway, thirdly, this morning, I dare you to, to, to make a move. I dare you to serve. And thirdly, I hear Jesus' words. He says, I dare you to die. No, another excuse that I've heard myself say at times, and with these sort of moments, I go, I'm not experienced enough. This sounds hardcore. That's not, I'm just getting, I'm just getting in, I'm just starting to walk, and yo, this is hardcore, maybe in time, they'll be cool. I want to grow into that. The problem with that as well is the fact that Jesus on the front end says, 
those who follow me must lose their life. On the front end in Mark 8, at the very beginning, he says, those, you can, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me daily. This is on the front end. This is basic 101 Christianity, that if you want to live, you need to die to self. This is 101 Christianity. This is, this is uh, intro-level Christianity, not something we grow into, not like, wow, those guys are the hardcore guys. No, no, Christians, for us to live, we need to die. Die to sin, die to self, die to our own agendas and live for Him. You know, as I, as I read this, uh, I've been reading a story about a whole bunch of Iran Christians. And I've got friends who've been missionaries in that area. And Christians in Iran, where it's illegal to be Christians, Muslims are turning to Christ in their droves. But the, and in underground churches, the first thing that they are taught in those moments are, are you prepared to die for Jesus? The first thing. Why? Because it's a reality. If it comes out that they've, they've, they've left their faith and gone to Christianity, they're most probably likely going to be excluded from society at the best. At worst, they can die. So the conversation leaders are having with new converts is not, how can we get you involved? What's the next step for you? Which I understand. But the first conversation they have is, you know if you really believe this and you stand for Jesus, you probably will die for this. And they're having to teach them what it means to die well for Jesus. And I go, I think sometimes we've been, yes, it's a blessing we get to be, meet freely. But the problem is that actually in underground churches in China, the church in China boomed and had a rapid growth when it was illegal to gather. Because people's lives were on stake. It had to be real for them. As soon as the Chinese government made it mainline Christianity be legal, and those churches said, thank goodness, you now can come up, up out underground. They got consumed with buying buildings, getting nice chairs, running good programs, and the pastors of those churches, they always would say, to get people to share their faith is so hard now. It was so easy when it was illegal. But actually, why? Because actually, the whole thing, we were meant to be people who are laying our lives down, not meant to be people sitting on a couch saying, how can I grow? We don't grow on a couch, we grow when we're laying our lives down. This morning, I, I want to land by loving the fact that what Jesus was doing in the story, the crowds gather, he walks through them, wow, amazing, into Jerusalem, walking towards his death. He speaks to these guys and says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies and goes into the ground, it'll come up and reap a great harvest. And actually, if he, no one can be my disciple unless they're going to follow me, that actually my Father will honor those who serve me, that if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it here. You've got to lose it here for me, for my sake. Jesus comes with this hardcore teaching, but it's an encouragement to us to move, to serve, to die. But also, it's a precursor saying, this is what I'm going to do. Jesus is saying, in one week's time, this is what I'm going to do. And we have the Savior named Jesus. As we gear up for Easter, we've got this amazing moment where the, the crowds come, they challenge, the challenge comes, and a week later, Jesus dies and is crucified alone. But we find this amazing moment when we look at Jesus, that, that, that moment, which is not just this, this incredible moment, Jesus dying on the cross, we've glamorized it, we've Instagrammed it. Wow, look how beautiful it is. It was dreadful, it was traumatic, it was broken. And actually around the cross, a week later, a week before, Hosanna, Jesus, Instagram stories, amazing. But on the back of that, you have to die for me. A week later, as Jesus died, he died alone. Crowds were gone. Many left him. 
Now, this is an incredible thing for us that we have to understand that Jesus moved from heaven to earth. He made a move towards us. He moved into our neighborhood. He took on our flesh. He did not stay away and say, God, let's pray for them. We'll pray for those people. No, he came himself. He made a move towards us. He came not to, ser- to be served, but to serve. The king of glory came to serve, to put, a, to put a towel over his arm and to serve humanity, the broken, you and I, in our shame and our sin and our stench and our brokenness. He came to serve us. But ultimately, in the great news of all, he came to die for us. How do you know that Jesus loves us? Because he died for us. If he did not die for us, his great teachings would just be great teachings. They have power because he died. He, he did it for us. But he did it for us, not that we would stay anemic and small and going, wow, look at all the extras. He did it so that we could be the most powerful people on earth because we have the resurrected king living inside of us. I want to tell you this moment that the, the event that turned the crowds away became the most powerful moment of all time. This week, we've got Red Week, and I, I labor this text so that it does stuff in our hearts. But I think sometimes we run away from sermons going, yeah, challenging, mm, I don't know what he meant by that. Oh, let's, I'll go and pray about that. That's cool. But sometimes there's raw moments like this when it's just a family moment where we say, actually, let's do what he says. Let's not argue it away. Let's not, let's not process it away. Let's just take a step of faith and say, let's give it a go. Because at the very least, we'll, st- we'll, we'll see God do good things. But at the, at the most, I believe we'll change who we are and we'll start to become the people God has created us to be. So this week, can I implore, my prayer is that every single person who calls Life Changes Milton home would be at least one Red Week event. Because on the back of that, watch what God will do. I dare you to move. Disrupt the noise. Do something different. I dare you to serve. I dare you to die. Because there's no other way to truly live. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for us this morning as we gather in community around your word. I thank you, Father, for these amazing people here. I thank you, God, for the people that you've linked us with. I thank you, God, that this is my friends, that we get to stumble and struggle and work out what it means to follow Jesus here and now in Cape Town 2019. But I thank you, Father God, that you are not allowing us to settle for lukewarm Christianity. I thank you, God, that you're not allowing us to settle from just watching and being a spectator from the couch. I thank you, Father God, whether we new believers or been following you for many years, I thank you today, you're disrupting our normal. And you're saying there's something more I've got for you. I pray that we would not be people who are for years a part of a church but never grow. I pray there would not be people who for years attend things but never actually grow. I thank you, Father God, as we step out of faith that this is a week as we start to enter the gym ourselves and say, we're going to start doing some weights. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy. It's not my normal. But I know as I trust you in this, God, you'll bring the growth that I so desire. I thank you for this for my friends. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.